Okay, so today's daf is Kaf Aleph in Shekalim. Nearing the end of Shekalim, we're on the bottom of Kaf Amud, where we left off yesterday, the two dots towards the bottom of the, uh, of the Amud, which is uh, one through three lines uh, from the bottom, <coughs> the last three words. Rabbi Ba Bar Mamal Ba'e, as was one question, Machlefashi, today the Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, uh, has a uh, a mix up of his uh, of his view. In other words, there's a contradiction in the view of Rabbi Shimon. Um, here again, we have a lot of trouble with the uh, with the text and the the girsaot. The different um, versions of the text are very confusing. So we we can use what the uh, what the Vilna Gaon Hagaotagras says on the side that it should say Taman Omer. Over there it says. Michel Tzibur Devar Torah. That over there it says, in other words, in the Gemara, in the in our Mishnah, it said that the um, that uh, the idea. Say over there in Masechet Nachot, it said that the that it should come that when they run out of the money of the when the coin gadol dies and they need the money to replenish the uh, the the minchav the coin gadol, they take it from the community. But in our Mishnah. Here it says so tamanu omer dvartwa over there it says dvartwa the the gra has this thing but here vachamar mitnei betin but in our uh, our mishnah said that it was one of the conditions of the betin that the betin instituted that meaning that according to the torah that wouldn't be the case that we take from the community for uh, to replenish the uh, fund for the or to pay for the minchav the coin gadol when the coin gadol has passed away. Okay, that's what it should say according to the Vilna Gaon's version. Now, then we go, then the Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, and it goes to the next Amud, right, the next Da'af. Amar Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, Ya'ot Hu Makshay. It's a good question. What that adds, I don't know, but he said this is a good, good problem. So it's a contradiction. And then continuing with the Gemara's version, says, Atar Rabbi Yaakov, uh, it, that it says that Rabbi Yaakov Bar Acha came, um, Rabbi Abau, and it's said in the name of Rabbi Abau, B'shem Rabbi Yochanan, Devar Torahu Shetei Baminatzibur. Now, according to the Gra, we do not read the parentheses here, okay? That really, it should come from the Tzibur. Meaning, really, according to the Torah, the money that should replenish or should cover the cost of the Kohen Gadol's co- uh, daily offering when he's not avail- when he's no longer around should come from the community. Skipping the bread is So you might have thought, in other words, according to the Torah, you should actually make a separate collection. It shouldn't come from the fund. You should go around and require everyone to pay a little bit towards the the maintenance of this. Okay, but it kino shetei ba mitumata lishka. They made an they made a takana that should come from the tumata lishka. That they should just take it from what's already been collected. In other words, according to the gra, basically these parentheses. If you look at the Talmud Bavli, there's a different version of this whole discussion, and the gra says that it basically a student mixed up, you know, took like content from the Talmud Bavli and inserted it here and made it very confusing. Really, the Rushalmi has it very simply. It says that. Uh, that originally they, you know, according to the Torah, really there should be a separate collection for this. It shouldn't be coming from the general fund of what they already collected. But they made a takanat because they weren't going to go around and try to collect from everybody in an emergency situation. The Kohen Gadol died. So they just took it from the Tumat Alishka. They took it from the collection that was already made. That's the, uh, the Graz version. Now we, now we come back again and... Uh, um, and the uh, and we have once again confusing girsaot where the where the uh, Vilna Gaon helps us out. Where it's, where now we skip all the way to one, two, three, four, five, six lines from the top of Kaf Aleph Amud Aleph, where it says Rabbi Yosa. So he has Rabbi Asi Am Rabbi Yochanan Ba'e. The Rabbi Asi said to Rabbi Yochanan the following question. I'm again reading from the Hagaot on the side. Ma shelema. 
What does it mean full? Shlema b'shacharit u shlema ben arbaim o shlema shacharit u betela ben arbaim. The first question that they had was that when the that's the, that was the original uh, that's a version that the Gra has of the Gemara here. Meaning that the first question the Gemara had was as follows: We know that when there's no kohen gadol, we don't split the isaron. We don't split the tenth of an efa into half. But what does that mean we don't split it? Does that mean we just bring one per day in the morning? Because what the Kohen Gadol would do is he bring a whole Disaron, split it in half. Do half in the morning, half in the afternoon. We're saying we don't do the splitting if there's no Kohen Gadol. So what does that mean? Does that mean we just take one Isaron and offer the entire thing in the morning and there's nothing in the afternoon? Or does that mean that we bring an Isaron in the morning, Isaron in the afternoon? In other words, we're doubling up. Which one is it? Okay, that's the first question according to the way that the Gra has in the text. In our Gemara here, Okay. Now he, going on with the um, going on with the uh, the Graz version. They concluded Right. So uh, that that they concluded that you do a full one in the morning and a full one in the afternoon, which is actually what the halacha is. Here was the question. That was the second question. The second question was <coughs> what the whether we know also that there are three lugin of oil that come together with the offering of the Kohen Gadol. So if what we're saying is this, we're saying that we're, gonna, we're not going to do taking one Isarona flower, splitting it in half, doing half in the morning, half in the night. We're going to do a full one in the morning, full one in the night. So do, what do we do in terms of the oil? Do we take the same, because it doesn't say that you should double the oil. We never said that. But so what do we do? Wouldn't so, you think it's the same ratio, though? That's what you would think. So that's the question. Do you have in the morning shloshet lugin and the afternoon shloshet lugin keeping the same ratio? That assumes what? That assumes that it's really all one thing. In other words, it's all one offering. So therefore, if you increase the amount of the flour, you also have to increase by, you know, proportionately the amount of the oil. But if you say, no, there's really, t- it's really two things. There's the offering of the flour and there's also the offering of the oil. And just because the Torah does, you have to double the offering of the flour. doesn't mean that you have to fl- double the offering of the oil because it's two different things. That, that would be the issue, right? And then again, the same question, okay, um, is, uh, is, is, uh, needs to be asked. Now, it, it doesn't answer the question. He says, another question is asked. What about the two? Uh, what about the? Uh, and, but in the Graz version, it doesn't say shnei. It says kometz v'shachrit v'kometz ben arbaim or chazi kometz v'shachrit v'chazi kometz ben arbaim. Now the Gra gets out of a big problem because everyone else has the version of shnei kometzim that it's supposed to be two kometzim, which it doesn't make it, which is very problematic because that's going. There's a machloket in Masechet Menachot. How much livona? How much of the frankincense? Remember, we got it from Bitzalel, the frankincense, to see what it was like. My son said, why do you have rocks? He found the... Ba- He's like, what is this? He found it like before Pesach when he was, I guess, looking. Through. So what is that thing that you have? And I said, don't worry, don't worry. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know what he thought it was. But anyway, we had these Livonat crystals, you know. So, so the thing is, yeah. So, he, so these crystals, so he would bring... Together with the the mincha uh, that he would br- bring every day, he would also bring the uh, levona with that. Now, in Masachet Menachot, there's an opinion that says there's the opinion that says that he has to bring um, two, and in other words, he has to bring a uh, a double amount of what you would normally think. In other words, he has to bring a kometz in the morning, kometz in the afternoon, full kometz in the morning, full kometz in the afternoon, even though he is splitting the uh, the, the flour. Okay. So, 
our the text of the Gemara that appears here is going like that opinion and saying, oh, so maybe now that he's doing double in the morning, double in the afternoon, he should also have to have double the live on in the morning, double the live on in the afternoon. But we don't hold that way anyway. We hold like the view that says that he does half of the live on in the morning and half of the live on in the afternoon, not double. So the question would be more reasonably, should he do a full coma? Now that we're doing a full Isaron, a flower in the morning, and a full Isaron, a flower in the afternoon, should he also do a full comets in the morning, full comets in the afternoon? The way we have it is according to the opinion that says that normally he brings a full one in the morning, full one in the afternoon, and it's asking whether it should double or not. But we don't have to, but the graph fixes that by putting, no, really what it should say is, should he do a full one in the afternoon, full one in the evening, I'm sorry, full one in the morning, full one in the evening, or should he do half and half? Right, that makes more sense according to what the halacha is. Right, so then, the, then, and according to the Gra also, Amrabi Yosi, Klum Lamdula Kometz, Lomi Lechem Apanim, Malalan Shnekomotzin, Bechaser, Afgal Shnekomotzin, Bechaser. So he said, again, what do we have in the Lechem? Where do we learn the idea of bringing Livona? It doesn't say by the Kohen Gadol's offering that you need to bring uh, Livona. So where do we get that idea from? We learn it from Lechem Apanim. And with the Lechem Apanim, the showbread of each week, they bring two, uh, uh, they bring the uh, two Komotzin of, uh, uh, of Livona. So we learn it from there. So it says similarly. So it says that we learn it from there. So therefore, what? What should be the conclusion if we learn it from there? So seemingly, what that means is that, uh, and the, and here we have the Taklin Chadetin always explains the Gemara according to the Gra's interpretation, right? So therefore, what it means two in total. We should have one in the morning and one in the afternoon, just like you see the the uh, the, the the way that the lechem uh, apanim is done. There are two in total, so two here. There should be two in total, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. That's the conclusion according to the way that the Gra the Gra has it, and the Gra's student, the Taklin Chadatin, is the student of the Gra. That's how he has it as well. Then the question is, what about the the oil, right? So he says, uh, So again, you have the, uh, where do we learn the idea of the three log of oil per Isaron? We learned it from the, the daily korban, where the daily korban of the Bet HaMikdash, together with the Mincha that accompanies the daily korban, is three log of oil in the morning and three log of oil in the afternoon. So, so too, it should be the same thing. You should have three log of oil in the morning, three log of oil in the afternoon, according to that. Um, and, uh, and that would mean that, um, that, you know, it should always be commensurate with the amount you're bringing. So since you bring Isaron in the morning, Isaron in the afternoon, so it should be three log in the morning, three log in the afternoon. Now the halakha that the Rambam brings is a little bit different than this. He has that you bring, uh, that you split the oil. That you actually bring a full amount of, you bring Esau on a flower in the morning, Esau on a flower in the afternoon, but you bring only, uh, only half of the oil. But yeah, but here it sounds like what the conclusion is that, oh, if you're going to tell me that you should bring a full Livona in the morning, full Livona in the afternoon, because we're modeling it after the Lechem Apanim, so you should also say that you do a three log of oil in the morning, three log of oil in the afternoon, because you're modeling it after the uh, Korban Tamit. That seems to be the conclusion of the Gemara here. Rabbi, um, is there a teko in Yerushalmi? They will just leave it. You just leave it, just leave yeah. it. Yeah. They they're not responsible. Uh, they, and, they, and how about comets in English? Is there a word for that? A handful. A handful, yeah. Okay. That's all. In Persian, yeah. it's mushed, right? Yeah. It's a handful, yeah. So it says, uh, So now, Rabbi Shimon, this was, a, this was another halakha that we learned. And we're going back to the two dots in the Gemara now, because that's what it was up to. Because it says, just like over there, it's necessary. Over here, it's necessary. So um, the uh, th- that's again that's comparing the uh, daily korban flour to the korban, to the amount that's necessary for the uh, to, for the um, 
for the uh, uh, for the Kohen Gadol's offering. Okay, meaning whatever is revealed. So the way that they interpret that, some of the mefarshim is that it's leaving it as a question that we don't really know. Meaning, just like over there. It's a, it's a question. Over here is a question. Meaning, so in which case, it's not really resolved. It's not really resolved. And that even when it comes to the Korban Tamid, there's a question about whether you do, whether you split it or whether you have each time, uh, three full login. And so therefore we could have the same question by the, uh, Kohen Gadol's offering. So that would actually leave it as a type of a teku. In other words, it's basically saying that in the end, you're assuming about the min- the daily mincha, that it's three in the morning, three in the afternoon, but that itself might be a question. And maybe you split that also between the two and therefore you would split it here also. So that's, that's left as a, like a type of a teku. Now we go back to the Gemara says, Rabbi now, this is talking about the effort of the paraduma. The paraduma, um, when it was burned down to ashes, it said that they that they made a condition of the betin that there would be no meila. You're not considered to misappropriate it if you uh, if you benefit from it. <coughs> so it says So originally it should be that there is meila, but they made a decree that you don't. Didn't we learn that the word chatati when it talks about the paraduma it says it's a chatat? So it's meaning that you would commit Mila if you leaned on, let's say, or benefited from the paraduma itself, the actual animal. But if you, but, but the effort of the para, there is no Mila. So why are you saying that really, according to the Torah, there should be Mila? That's not true. The Torah says, no. I'm Rabbi Abba, he says, in the beginning, Hayu Mishtakshekin. it says it means like they would misuse it. They would use it as a type of a... Uh, as a type of a, he says, lashon ziluta, kishkush, like like mess around with it, right? Yeah, lizalzil, meaning there's a kishkush, meaning that they would mess around with it and they would use it. They thought, oh, it has a segula. I'm going to put some of the effer on my uh, pockets for parnasa. I don't know. They, they said they would use it for rifuab. You know, they had like a Segulot. thing, yeah, segulot. So it said because of that. So they said, they would put it on their wounds. So shimaluba. Then they uh, so they made a gzera that the, that it would be meila. In other words, really according to the Torah, it's not that. According to, because originally the Gemara thought that it meant that according to the Torah there is Mila, and the rabbis came along and said, no, there is no Mila. Not saying, no, really according to the Torah there is no Mila, because we see the Pasuk tells us that only the Paraduma itself is subject to Mila, but not the ashes. So why did they have to go to this trouble? So the answer is, Originally, according to the Torah, there was no problem, but then the people were misusing it. They're taking it, they're using a skula. Nowadays, they would put it behind their ears and their pockets, you know, like the Havdalah. You know, who knows what they would do, right? So they, uh, so they were doing that. So they said, you know what? We're going to say that it's, you commit Mila if you do that. So that way people will be scared. But then later on, they started to become respectful. So Kevan Shin Nigdiru, they started, to, they, they limited themselves. So they retracted that and said that they didn't have to have that Gzerah anymore because the people didn't mis, you know, misuse it anymore. Now, this piece really, was, is, seems to be a uh, doubling from something that we saw earlier because it's exactly this language before. And the Grot accounts for that by just saying Tamantaninan. We learned already, you know, that when it talked about Mechza Mechza Yiplu Ola, that this is really going back to a previous sugya that talked about where the money falls out of the box and it's in between the two boxes and we end up putting it all for the olot instead of for the chataot. And that means that this lady, whoever left the money, isn't getting a chatat. So it said, Aisha Hazot Bamemi Mit Kaperet. How does she get her credit? So Amar Biyitzchak, Tenai Bedinu, Amisapeket Akinin, Humisapeket Apsulot, Veta Oha Ovdot. Basically, we saw that before, that basically there is a, there's a machloket in the Mishnah, whether it comes from the communal fund or it's going to come from the, or it's going to come from the supplier 
year himself that he's going to have to guarantee and back up the number of birds that have to be provided. But either way, the point is that an individual leaves money, the woman leaves money for in that that kupa that is marked for chatat and ola pairs. So if money falls out of that, well, we don't know where it fell from. It's in between, and we put it into the other. Uh, we put it into the one that's all olot. So we're always going to make sure to put some extra into the one with the, that had the chataot and ola, just to make sure that if any person put their money in there and it ended up in a different box by accident, um, since we had to decide, basically, to put that money in the more stringent box, but it might not really be the correct address for that money. So therefore, we're going to go back and we're going to say that uh, we're going to replenish the, uh, add that amount into the other box, just to be sure. And that's done either by the betin, or it's done by the supplier that since there's a question, he has to supply extra and they bring an extra chatat just to be sure that uh, nobody l- missed out since we can't be definite about that. We're, 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 you were, no, we're ruling, when we rule on a safek, that doesn't mean that uh, we're 100% sure. That just means that we're doing what we need to do to satisfy the doubt. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we actually did the correct thing because we don't know. Maybe that money really did belong in the chatat and ola container and not in the pure Ola container and then somebody's not getting their Korban brought, you know. Rabbi brings down the name of Tachin Chatin and also Pirush Rambam that one of the reasons they went back on the Gizara is because people who were in Safek of Tum'ah were afraid of using it and they wanted to make sure that they... Yeah, they were afraid because it was too holy. Yeah, yeah. What? They need to, to have in mind before. When they give the money, so the Kohen will basically, a person drops, the way they did it to make it more efficient was they just had the pe- people leave money. Let's say it's $10 for a pair of birds. You put your $10 in and you leave. And the Kohen, the Kohanim, when they were offering, they'd say, okay, we're having in mind for whichever woman, you know, brought, whichever woman brought today, each one, we're not making a commitment. We know that it's for one of the ladies that brought today. And, that, and everyone knew that in that day, they would make sure to bring all the ones that came in that day. So everyone by the evening knew that they would be, they'd be good. Yeah, so now it says, That's, Now we continue with other sfekot that takes us to the end of the Vesechet almost really. Any saliva found in Yerushalayim, it's Torah. Now, why is that significant? Because the saliva of a Zav, basically, um, yeah, has a Tum'ah. It's an Ava Tum'ah. Very serious Tum'ah. So if you see saliva and you had contact with saliva, you have to be worried that maybe you became Tamei from the uh, saliva of the, of the Zav. It's written in the Torah, actually. Oh, so, the person so, so, sneezes on you. Right. Any bodily, yeah, bodily fluids, you know, I from the mouth. Well, the question is, if you have, if you have flu- fluids and you touch it, so it's, it's assumed to be, yeah, it's assumed to be except for the upper market. We're going to see what the upper market was. That was the place where there was a lot of shenanigans going on. So there was more, more what? Some things, bad stuff. Yeah, shenanigans, you know, balagan. Balagan. You know, mishugas, they call it. Mishugas. You know, it was going on. So they, so therefore, so they had the rest of the year. If you find it in the middle of the street, so then it's probably Tamei. But if it's on the side, it's Tahor. Because in the middle, the regular time, the Tamei people are running the show. And the people who are Tahor are staying on the side. They don't want to get touched, right? But when everybody is Tahor because it's time of the holiday, so then the pure people are the ones that get the main road. The people who are Tamei go to the side. 
Because whoever's the minority goes to the side. So during the Chagim, where everyone is coming and become purified, so there, and, and there's also more Chazakot, we give like the benefit of the doubt to the Ameha Aretz, that they became Daor and all that. All the rules that we usually do to, that discriminate against the average person and assume that they're Tamei, we suspend those rules during the Regal. So therefore, they get the middle of the road. But, and the people who are on the side are the Tamei people during that time, right? We learned this before, actually. You might remember it from, uh, from Masachib Sachim in the beginning. It wasn't that long ago. That if you, that on the way down to the Betat Vila, to yeah, the mikveh, so there was, there was a, it was a one-way street, so you would go, there was a down staircase, up staircase, so if you found something on the down staircase, right, so then, if, if it's on the up staircase, so that means the person already put it in the mikveh, so it's probably tahor, so they dropped it on the way going up, so then it would be okay, but if it was going down, so then, so if it was on the way down, so that means that they probably never managed to put it into the mikveh and it dropped, so that, then it's probably tamay, but if it's on the way up, so then it's tahor. Because the way that they go up and the way they go down is not the same. Right? So therefore you could tell that, and now some other mefarshim say it's not just a matter of uh, two different staircases. Even if you could tell by the way that it fell, whether it fell from uh, going up or going down, that would also be uh, an indication. Now, it was intentional that they had two different paths? Yeah, they, well, that's what they seem to say. Rabbi Yossi said, no, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to all Kelim. Even if they're, on the, even if they're in the entranceway, I'm going to assume that they, they made it to the mikveh and then somehow they, got, uh, they, they fell. Um, except for things that have to do with burial. These are three things. The sal is a basket. The magrifa is like a type of a shovel, and the muritza is like a type of a uh, a scraper or a cutter that they would use. Some people say they used it to cut actual bone, and some people say that they would. Yeah, some people say that they would um, they would use it for cutting rock. But the point is that either way, these were things that were used for burial because what they used to do, according to the mafarshim, explained that what they used to do was they would bury people. For in temporary graves a lot of times before they disinterred them and moved them to family plots. And so they would wait till the, their bodies decomposed into bones and then they would move the bones and they would use these baskets and other implements to do this relocating. The point is that if it's items that are associated with... Uh, that are associated with um, burial. with burial, so the assumption is that they're always tamay. But if it's just a random thing, it's around the mikveh. You assume that it made it into the mikveh. And you could say a safek uh, la Rabbi, once you take okay. it from the mikveh, you don't assume they dipped it. That's, the, that's what he's saying. Rabbi Yossi is saying if it's at the mikveh, you assume that it went in. If it's even doors vessel. No, except for those. He said chutz me. You don't assume that it You don't. Yeah, unless you know, because that's, that's yeah. So now it says sakin shenem said biyudalid. If you find it, we also learn this in Masechus Sachim. If you learn, find a knife on the fourteenth of Nisan, shochet bamiad. You can assume that this knife was if it had to be made tower was made tower already the previous day because they knew that everyone's going to need their knives on the fourteenth of Nisan. But if you find it on the thirteenth, you better take it to the mikveh because maybe it was Tamei and the person was planning on taking it to the mikveh that day and using it the next day for Shechitav Korban Pesach so you have to do it now Kopitz Kopitz is a like a cleaver that's used for cutting bones cutting through bones now the re- that would not be used for Korban Pesach that's what we, why we discussed it in Masech Sachim because you wouldn't use it for Korban Pesach because it, you're not allowed to break the bones of the Korban Pesach and there was a whole discussion there but what about the Chagiga you're allowed to break the bones of it but the point is you can't break the bones of the Korban Pesach so you can't assume that the person would have brought that to the Mikveh maybe they're going to bring that to the Mikveh on Erev Pesach in other words if they need the knife for Erev Pesach to do their Korban Pesach so they would have had to bring it to 
the mikveh the day before, on the 13th of Nisan. So by the 14th of Nisan, it's already going to be good. But if it's the this cleaver type of thing, so maybe they were planning on bringing it to the mikveh that day to use it the next day, because they're not going to use it the night of Pesach. They're going to use it the next day. Right? Well, that's what we just, that was the discussion in Masech Psachim. The discussion in Masech Psachim was, this is implying that you also are not allowed to break the bones of the, Masech, of the uh, Chagiga. That was the whole thing. This Mishnah is following that rule. If you were, if you didn't assume that, so then you would be able to uh, assume for both, right? Now, so in that case, you have to, uh, you have to bring them to the mikveh in that situation. Whether it's the 13th or the 14th, you're going to have to immerse it because you can't assume that the person immersed the kopitz because maybe he's not going to use it at all for Shabbat. On the other hand, if the 14th of Nisan falls on Shabbat like it did this year, yeah. right? Yeah. So therefore, all tvilot, even of the kopitz, even if you were planning on not using that kopitz until the, the, until, until the Yom Tov, Right, until the daytime at the Yom Tov, you still would have had to bring it on the 13th of Nisan because you can't do Tvilat uh, Kelim on Yom Tov. On Shabbat. Right. So, right, you wouldn't be allowed to. So, therefore, what? So, then you're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to assume that it was done beforehand because everyone did all of their Tvilat on Erev Shabbat because they had two days ahead. In other words, the point is that if Erev Pesach is a weekday, so maybe the guy was going to bring the other Kelim that he doesn't need until Yom Tov day, he's going to bring that to the Mikvah on the 14th. He doesn't, he doesn't have to do it on the 13th. Because after he does his Korban Pesach, whatever, now he has extra time in the afternoon, he's going to go do that. But if it's something that he, if, it, if it's a Shabbat, so then he doesn't have that uh, luxury. And so he, he has to do everything on Erev Shabbat on the 13th. And therefore, any knife or cleaver or other implement, he can assume that it was already taken to the Mikvah by then. So then, for, and, and it's a, uh, if he, um, if it's on the 15th, so then he can use it right away because everything that by then, everything is assumed that was uh, brought to the mikveh by then. Nimzit kshual sakin, on the other hand, if it was tied to a knife, so are you kisakin? So then you assume that it's like the knife. In other words, just like you assume that any knife that's found on the 14th of Nisan was already immersed, even if the 14th of Nisan is on a weekday, because everybody would have immersed their knife. So if it's tied to a knife, you assume that also the person probably did the two together, right? Before the 14th. You found it on the 14th, so you assume that the person took it to the Mikvah on the 13th, right? Now, the Gemara says, There was like a uh, launderers, not money launderers, regular launderers, on the, on, in this upper shuk. That's why there was a lot of spittle that was tame because they treat Nukhrim, are treated like Zavim. We treat them also like a Zav, it's Banan. We learned in the Masech HaDavod So therefore, um, the, therefore, they treated their spittle that way. That was the reason. Now, Amr Chanina. There were like certain kinds of creatures. Now the Gra has a different version that says Sham, and Arod is like a type of a, a dangerous creature. Sometimes they translate it as as a uh, some a scorpion or something. And then it's just say ben Levi. According to the Gra has ben Levi that he has some extra words there that they uh, that they were they, at one point they were spearing so many of these um, creatures that there was so much blood that the Oleru Galim were walking in the blood up there ad arkuvotehen until their uh, until their ankles they said it's not to me there's no issue of that uh, of the tumah on that but the point is that they because there were things going on up there um, that were um, 
that uh, there were a lot of non-Jews who were doing all kinds of things. Either they were doing cl- clothing laundry, uh, laundering or they were doing other sports. I don't know, killing scorpions for sport. They, so, so therefore the spit up there was considered to be a, probably from Azav. But everywhere else was not. The point is that it's just trying to say that there was all kinds of stuff going on up there that was not the typical Yerushalayim stuff. So you had to be more careful. Now this, now the Gemara here is bringing actually a, a large quotation pretty much from a piece of Gemara that we already learned just uh, not that long ago in uh, the third parak, literally word for word, same discussion again. That, uh, but it's on the topic of blood and the Tumah blood. Rabbi Simon Shem Rabbi Shoben Levi Michel Shemeta. That one time it happened that there was a uh, there was a, a donkey in the house of uh, Rabbi that had died. Vetiru et and they said Mishum Nevelan. They said that its blood was not tame because of Nevela. Flesh would be tame, but the blood was not tame. Well, that's the discussion. That's uh, they're gonna. This is a repeat of the discussion that we had already in Peragim. Rabbi Elazar Shail, Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Simon. Vad kama? How much? Meaning, is that only true for a small amount or even a large amount? Is not tamei. This exactly question. Velo agive. He didn't answer him. Shail, Rabbi Shuban Levi. He asked Rabbi Shuban Levi. Amale aduviito. You tell me, can tamei? He said to him, you know what? Up to a revi'it, you're right. Up to a revi'it, it's not mitame. Meaning it's not mitame on its own. But once it reaches a revi'it, that if you were basically to make it solid, it would be a kazayit, so it's no different than the flesh of the animal. Right? That's, that's the logic. Now he said to him, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Elazar, who's called Rabbi Lazar sometimes. Just like in the Ashkenazim, they call him Lazar. Yeah. So it comes from that. Right? So they, uh, so, so he was so upset. Because Rabbi Simon ignored him. You know, he asked Rabbi Simon a question, he ignored him, but Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, he was nice, he answered, you know, he was very happy with that. Now, what happened that, that one time? So, Kedilachazale, Rabbi Simon, Shmuatai, he never answered him. Now, Rabbi Bevai, Havayativ, Madnea den Uvda. So, Rabbi Bevai was telling over the same whole story about the, the mule of the, uh, or the, you know, whatever it was, of, uh, of, uh, of the house of Rabbi, where they did, they said the blood was Tahor. Amale Rabbi Yitzchak bar Bisna, Ad Kama. So, uh, so Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Bisna said, "How much? Up to how much?" Yoter miken So he said, "Up to a revi'it is tahor. More than that is tamei." Now it seems like that is part of the question. Right, that's the question he's asking him. Is it that it's only up to a revi'it is tahor, or even more? Right, he was asking him. Or no, once you get to a revi'it. In other words, is it that once you get to a revi'it, it's going to be tamei? Or no, even beyond that, you're saying it's always tahor. He kicked him. Now, I don't know if that means literally, but uh, he, he, he didn't answer. He, he got angry. Just because he asked you a question, you're kicking him. You know, why are you being mean to him? You know? yeah, so we saw this exact Gemara earlier. In other words, he, this word for word. It wasn't because he asked a question. It's because my mind is not with me. I, I'm, not, I'm not in a good state of mind. Why? Because the Amar Rabbi Chanin, because Rabbi Chanin said, that uh, your life is going to hang in front of you. This is talking about the klalot of the Torah. It talks about that your life is going to hang in front of you. Right? That's a person who has enough food for the year. Meaning even that is, you know that you have, let's say, employment for a year. That's not so secure. Better than nothing, but it's not so secure. Right? What about the person who's afraid night and day? That's the person who buys from a sidki. Is the person who prov- provides for a week. Right? So the guy knows what he has for a week. You're not going to trust your life. Palter means a, a, a baker. In other words, he only knows that he has for that day. 
So the point is that the level of psychological anxiety a person has depended on how much income they have. If they know they have a year, that's also not so great, but it's better than nothing. A week, okay, you know, a day, you don't know where tomorrow's bread is coming from. Very bad. Vana samicha paltera. He said, I go to the bakery every day, meaning I don't know where my next meal is coming from. So I was, in, I was very stressed out. So when he asked me a question, I decided to kick him. You know, but normally, uh, normally I wouldn't do that. Now, Micah, what's the bottom line? He said that the blood of Nevela is Tahor. So, so that would seem to resolve the question that even if it's a Revi'it, it's Tahor, purely Tahor. Right? So it said, no, No, what he meant was, it doesn't create Hechsher Tumah in something else. Meaning, just because it's considered Tamei doesn't, doesn't mean that it can create Hechsher Tumah. Now, it makes sense because if you think about it this way, then why is it that once it reaches a Revi'it, it becomes Tamei? Either the blood is Tamei or not. Why Revi'it? Because once it's a Revi'it, really that translates into a Kazayit of flesh. It's like the, if you would make it solid, it'd be a Kazayit. So what it's saying is, it's not really considered tamay as a liquid. So it doesn't make other things, it won't make other things subject to tumah. Normally, some, normally if blood falls on a fruit, let's say, or water, or any of those uh, mashkim that are the, the fluids <clears throat> that make something capable of receiving tumah. But here he's saying it won't make another thing receptive to tumah, but it could produce tumah. So it says, tamantan, you know what we learned over there. So you're saying, you're saying that it could produce tumah, just not hechsher tumah. But we learned, we learned that the blood of a sheretz, the blood of one of these crawling things, right, is just like its flesh. It creates tum'ah, but it doesn't render other things capable of receiving tum'ah. Meaning if the blood of one of these creepy crawlies, you know, fell on a, uh, fell on fruit, it wouldn't make it uh, capable of becoming tamay. If it wasn't capable of becoming tamay already, but it would make it tamay if it were capable of becoming tamay already. If we washed the fruit already... No, it's the same. He's saying, but it says, meaning that we don't have any such thing as that anywhere else. Meaning, this is the only case where a fluid doesn't make, let's say, the apple, cap- if it falls on the apple and it was never washed, it will not make the apple capable of receiving Tumah. But if the apple was already washed, then it will become Tameh. You're saying the same thing applies in the case of the blood of Nevelah, that it's not Machshir. It doesn't make other things capable of receiving Tumah, but it will make them Tameh if it's a Ruvi'it. That's what you're saying. Right, so it's saying, but we we learned over there by the Sheretz that that's the only case where you have such a dichotomy. You don't have that dichotomy anywhere else. No, it says no. What it means is What it meant was that we don't have anything else like it with regard to the amount. Because remember, Sheretz is only the lentils amount creates tumah. Normally, you need a kazayit, you need a viit, you need a big amount. With a Sheretz, it's a lentils amount. Tiny amount conveys tumah. That's what it meant, vein lano kayotsebo, that there's nothing else like it. But the idea that you could have something that's n- that is a, that it does produce tumah, but does not make other things capable of receiving tumah is possible. And that's what we're saying. We're saying that this blood, if it's up to a viit plus, Okay, it will be mitameh, but if it's under, uh, but but if it falls on something, it will not make it capable of receiving tumah. And that's what Rabbi Yoshua was saying when he testified that it's tahor. He meant it will not make other things capable of receiving tumah. But actually, it itself, if there's a lot of it, will transmit tumah. Now the Gemara says, "Am Rabbi Yosef." Rabbi Yosef says, "Pligi ba 
Tzurei Amoraim. There were two Amoraim that argued about this. Chad Amar Tamei v'Chad Amar Taor. One said Tamei, one said Taor. Manda Amar Tamei ki Rabbi Yehuda. The one that said Tamei is going like Rabbi Yehuda, meaning what we said before that if it's a certain amount, if it goes over um, a Rivi'it, so then it will become actually a source of Tum'ah. It's not totally Tahor, right? But the one who says it's Tahor is going like Rabbi Shoban Petorah, meaning he's saying that he said that I, he testified that it was Tahor. He meant no matter how much there is, it's Tahor. It's not only flesh of Nevela transmits Tum'ah, not blood, and that's, that's categorical. Doesn't matter, according to him. Amali Rav Abduma de min Nechuta. Rav Abduma from Nechuta said, Ve'yeot, and it makes sense, Rabbi Yehuda, Moriyana de Benesiyahava. It makes sense that Rabbi Yehuda said that, because he was the posek of the house of Rabbi. So since he was the one who said that up to a Ravi'it it's not Tamei, but after a Ravi'it it would be Tamei, it makes sense that he was the one who said in the house of Rabbi that they didn't have to worry because it was less than a Ravi'it. That's because he was the one who was making the, deciding the halacha. But actually, according to the other view, even if it was more than a Rav'i'it, it would have been a source of Tumah. And this, we, this whole discussion we already had earlier. Now, back to our Gemara. All of the spit. We said that they, they didn't make a Gzera on the... Um, <clears throat> On the spittle that is found in Jerusalem because they didn't want to increase Tumah. The reason is because of an exceptional case. It's true that in general we don't make a and assume that spit that we see is going to be Tamei in Yerushalayim because we don't want to make those assumptions. But in this particular area, because there were things going on there that lent themselves to there being Tumah, so we had to be extra careful in that case because we, because we had the Katsran Shanukhrim, which is basically a laundering going on. Uh, by the non-Jews. Now, B'shara Yomot HaShanah, Tamein Me'alachin, Shibolet. Shibolet here means in the middle of the road. The rest of the days of the no, year, right? Yeah. The Tamein, what? Who? Liot Kezavim, it says. No, they treated them Kezavim, like oh, Zavim. Oh, Kezavim. Yeah. So, B'shara Yomot HaShanah, Tamein Me'alachin, Shibolet, Tamein Me'alachin, The rest of the year, the, the Tamein people got the middle of the road and the Tahor people were the minority. They went on the side. Now, the way the Grai corrects it here in Otbet, he says that that it would say that Tamein would walk um, Stam and the Torin would say, Proshu, stay away from us. Not that the Tameim would say, stay away from us, right? This has that the, that the Tamei people would say, stay away, stay away from us. Don't become Tamei. It, but the Grah has no the other way around. The Tahor people said to the Tamei people, stay away from us, right? But during the holiday, the Tahor people get the middle of the road. Okay? And the Tamei people had to go on the side. The Tamei people would walk and say nothing. And the Tahor people would say, stay away from us. Okay? So that now the Grat reverses it. He says that during the rest of the year, the Tahor people would say that the Tamei people stay away from us because they were the minority. And that during the holiday, the Tamei people would say to the Tahor people, stay away from us because they were the minority. In other words, whoever was the minority would warn the majority to stay away so they wouldn't ruin anything. Now the next Mishnah, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go, with a little bit more from our... Uh, the next piece says, uh, Didn't we learn that we don't make assumptions about Kelim in Yerushalayim? We assume that vessels that we find are Tahor. But since it's found on the way down to the Mikveh, so that is like uh, evidence, circumstantial evidence that indicates that it was Tamei. That's why it was being brought there. Or Tziporin, it really should say. Right? He would call that tool that was used for either for cutting bone, some say, or for cutting rock, he would call it fingernail because it was, uh, what's the reason? 
why would he call it? Uh, uh, why would he call it uh, tziporin? Because she hayad because it, he would um, because it was a uh, it was similar. Tzipurin. What? It's on the flower tziporin. No, no, it's going about spawn of the nail because it was like the nail of a of a person. Uh-huh. So, uh, so, pe- so therefore he would he called it the finger, right? Um, and uh, and what is the uh, what's the reason why they called it muritza, right? Shemuritza even the betakvarot that they because since they would use it to break open the uh, the even the um, the uh, rock for the uh, for the burial. So therefore, they uh, they they called it moritza because it would break things. Moritza means to uh, to dig was, or to it break. Was like a chisel. Yeah, it was like a chisel type of thing. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. So the uh, so but that, that it's explaining why they called it by these particular names. Okay. Now the Gemara goes on. Okay. Where am I? Oh, Kofitz, Yeah. So Tane. Another bright says, Another bright that said that no, if the sakin is tied to the kofits, we were strict with the sakin the other way around. In other words, our Mishnah said that if the if the cleaver is tied to the knife, we give it the benefit of the doubt that it's like the knife and it's also tahor. But no, there's another bright that says the opposite. That if it's connected to each other, we get we don't give it the benefit of the doubt. We say that it's tamei because it was tied to the cleaver, and therefore you have to bring it to the mikveh. Now let's try to do the next mishnah too. Mishnah says paochet shenit made bivlad If the paochet of the bet hamikdash, the curtain was tamei with vlad datumah. Now remember, according to the Torah, an akli, a vessel, can only become tamei from something that's an avatumah. So if this came into contact with a rishon datumah or a derivative tumah, so it's only rabbinically tamei. It's not biblically tamei. So what would they do? Matbilinota bifnim. They would put it into the mikveh. Was inside the Beit Hamikdash, or machnisin otamiyad, and they would put it right back because it was only derabanan. Vishnit mit beavatumah. If it was it became tamei with an actual avatumah, so matpilin otabachutz, they would have to take it outside and bring it to the mikveh because it was actually tamei. Vishotchin otabachil, and they would put it in the chil. The chil was either a special wall or a special area that was outside of the um, that was outside of the azara, uh, outside of the courtyard. Because it has to wait till the next night. If it was a new parochet, shotchin otal gaba itzdeba. Even though it became Came to me, they would hang it from the outside area. That was actually where people would hang out, like after they brought their Koban Pesach, if it fell on Shabbat and they couldn't go home, they'd hang out in this area. Yeah, right? Yeah. They would hang it out there. Because they wanted to see what their, where their tax dollars were going. That's what the Mephashim said. They wanted to say, oh wow, what a beautiful parochet. They've been such a beautiful parochet. I'm so glad that they took my money to do that. They want to see. But they're not going to see it ever again. Right, because nobody sees it, especially the parochet of the Kodesh Kodeshim, nobody sees that. Right? So they would get to see it. Now, Rabban Shemam Gamliel Omer, the parochet was as thick as a tefach, and he said this in the name of Rabbi Shimon, who was the son of the assistant Kohen Gadol. It was as thick as a tefach. Al shivim ushtaim nimin neregat, and they were. It was made of seventy-two cords. Al kol nima v'nima kaf dalid chutin. Um, every uh, cord was 24 string threads that it was made from. Orkamim ama, its length was 40 amot, kaf, and its width was esrim, 20 amot. Umishmonim ushtayim ribo aitanaset. Now, the way that the Grand interprets that is that it was eight, that it cost, um, 820,000 dinar to make it. That's the price. 
Okay, there are different versions of what it means, but it's saying it's very, it was like almost a million dinar to, to produce it. And, um, and not only that, the, but Ushtai Mosi Bukhol Shana. Some say that was right? the number of Chutin. Yeah, there's some people the number of Chutin. Some people will say it was the number of people who did it. But Ushtaim Osin Bukhoshana would make two per year. Ushlosh Beot Kohanim Matvilinotan, they required 300 Kohanim to dip it into the mikveh because it was so heavy. Because if you imagine those thick cords and how big it was, it wasn't, it would be like, right, they say that's what it's going to say. You don't have to, you don't, relax, relax. No, you know, it's okay. Now, in the, in the, uh, we, in fact, we even learned this more earlier in the Bavli. We had, that's right. But the, but the point is, like, if you try, like, if you think of, like, those Persian rugs, like, that's basically what it's like, you know, they're very heavy. Even they don't look like, you don't think that they're, but they're very, uh, they're very heavy. And now, gold yeah. In it yeah, this had, this was thick. It was really made from thick. Now, because you, you see a Persian rug and you think, oh, it's light. It's, you know, it's, it looks, but it's, it's very thick. Now, the Gemara says, if it said, that would mean one string. So it says kafur with two. Shazur lishlosha. Shazur means like um, further uh, level of uh, weaving. Moshzar is lishisha. Moshzar is lishisha. Arba. So mikan ha esrim arba. So what does it say? It says in other words, there's four kinds of different fabric that it's made from. Tchelat argaman tolat shani v'shesh. Four things. So since moshzar it's saying means shisha. Six times four, twenty-four. So each cord had to be made of 24 threads, right? Tanesh, Toshimu Shtaim. There's another part that says 32. Ilo Amarchut Echat. Kaful Shnaim. Shazur Larba. Moshzar Lishmona. It's saying no, Moshzar really means 8. And what's 8 times 4? Last time I checked, if they haven't changed the math since then, right? Mikan, Atatinu Tren, that's 32. Okay, now, but Tana Arbaim Ushmona. And those one says it was actually 48 threads. Ilo Amarchut Echat. Right? That would be one. Kaful Shnaim. Kli'ah. If it said kli'a braided, it would mean three. Shazur l'shisha. That means shazur means six, and that means moshzar means shnemas are twelve. Right? So arba'a, and you have that times four, so mikana arba'im utmania, that would mean, mean 48. In other words, depending, they're taking the word moshzar. Does it mean six? Does it mean eight? Does it mean twelve times whatever you have? Now, one pasuk says that it's maserokem. The parochet is maserokem. Rokem is like a embroidery, right? The katuv echadomer masechoshev. Masechoshev means like you know artist work. Maserokem partuf echad. Maserokem means one face, one image. Right? And masechoshev shnei partufot. But masechoshev means two. Two faces. So the, the back, right? The back and front had the, the That's what it's going to explain. It's going to explain. So now the question is, what do you mean one face or two face? In other words, if it just said one of them, it would mean one face. But it says, it means two. But what do you mean two? So there's two opinions, of course. There's two. Now I'm going to read the Graz version. He says, that There's a picture of a line on one side and the other side is blank. Okay, meaning it's only one side. Meaning if there's two of this, it's the same thing, but there's two on either side. The other said, no, that means that no, when I said one face, I meant they could duplicate it, the same thing, right? 
But what does it mean, Masech Hoshev? Arimikan Veneshermikan, two different faces, meaning, a, right, right. So what it, what it means to say Nesher is like an eagle or whatever. It's not really eagle, but whatever it is. But Nesher. But the point is that it, on either, so when it said one face, did it mean one kind of face or actually one face? In other words, when it said Masech Hoshev would mean one face, you mean that it, would, it means it would only have something on one side? Or no, it would have only one thing, but on both sides. And when it says Masech Hoshev, it says two faces, do you mean that it had the same thing on both on either side, or you mean it had two different things, which is even ha- even more difficult to, to be able to make uh, two di- di- totally different things. You see both sides yeah. are same design. Yeah, same design. Yeah, right, right. That's and just like a reflection of the sometimes of the other. Opposite. Right, yeah, sometimes a reflection. Right, but you could still make it look like the same thing. Like you know, the lion looks on one side; it's just a little bit reflecting the same thing. But also the back of it is almost a full image. Right. If you have, if you, but it's really hard to make it that it's going to create on the back side a totally different right. picture yeah, than on the front side. It's like, yeah, how could you do that? It's like hard to imagine. But, you know, there are artists that do things like that. It's, it's amazing. So that's what they had. So that, that's according to the way the Gra reads it. Now, um, and it said, I said it was made from 820,000. According to the Gra, that's the amount of money that it cost. Now, he's not talking. This, I don't know if he's talking about that. I think he's talking about the 300. Yeah. Right? He's talking about the, uh, the part where it said it took 300 Kohanim to dip it, and it's Guzma. And we learned this in the Bavli already, yeah. um, that it was Guzma. Where is it in the Bavli? It tells us. Oh, it's in, it's in yeah, Chulin, Tzadi, Amud Bet. Okay. So, uh, uh, he says, Guzma. Just like it also said that they sometimes had 300 Kur, which is an enormous amount of ashes that would build up from all of the Korbanot. On the Mizbeach, this is also Guzma. It's also an exaggeration. In other words, sometimes the rabbis use language to make a point. Just like I say to you, I always use this example, but someone says, I told you a million times. Why did you do that? Yeah, they, they they them. Right. Also, yeah. like, yeah. Just That's like, that was, their, that was theirs. Like, they, they, they'll say, a lot of times they use it, Lord, like, what, some of the Foshim say, when Yaakov says to Lavan, Aseret Monim, you change ten times. Oh, it could have been seven times, six times. I mean, all the time. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean a number ten. So that a lot of times, the Gemara will use certain uh, numbers, uh, thousands, ten thousand, hun- to, right, uh, six hundred thousand, to mean a lot. It doesn't necessarily take a lot.